So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans, I'm Norma Jean, and welcome to Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. Today, we're talking to Katie DiCibato, who's a writer living in Los Angeles and who's a friend of mine from way back in the day before I ever moved abroad. I've been in Asia like seven years, so really excited to talk to her and share her story. A lot of insight on being a creative person, taking feedback, and really building up that creative muscle. We've got a toast poem for you. As usual, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. Subscribe, share it with all your friends, write us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. If we have been the inspiration to bring you to Bali, come for Bali Spirit Festival April 2nd through 8th and use the code STAYWILD for a discount on the five-day festival pass or Stay Wild Abundance for a discount on the festival abundance full enchilada pass. So I hope you guys enjoy today's show and here we go. All right, little humans, we're here today with Katie DiCibato. Hi, Katie. Hi. So Katie is a writer living in L.A., and her first novel came out, I think, two years ago, and it's called The Ghost Network. Yeah, it came out May 2015. May 2015. Okay, so we're we're at that two-year mark. And Katie, uh-huh. we've been friends for a while, right? And through yeah. our entire time knowing each other, maybe, what, like 10 years, maybe eight years or something. Yeah, really? Oh, God. I know. We're I know. Old. I know. You've been a writer that whole time. That's true. Yeah. And so for those listeners at home, for all the little humans at home, tell us a little bit about, first of all, you know, being a writer and your process, the education behind that, your background and um, how it's progressed for you. Okay, sure. Um, So I kind of always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid. I would write poorly formed stories. And I was lucky enough to go to a public high school um, outside of Chicago that um, had some creative writing classes. So I knew I wanted to be a writer. And from high school age, I was in these creative writing classes. And it just stoked my desire to, to pursue it as a career. So when I was looking into what, you know, college to go to, I was drawn to Oberlin College in Ohio because Oberlin has a really good creative writing program. And so I went there and got a degree in creative writing, an undergraduate degree, which is you'll see like a lot of novelists go and get a graduate degree in creative writing and an undergraduate degree is different than that. But, you know, it still felt like I was, you know, training to be a writer. Mm. Um, when I was when I was doing that work. And I had a great professor who was a mentor of mine. His name is Dan Sean. He's a novelist. And I felt like he really understood me and understood the work I was doing. And just I really felt supported by him. And the, the, the big the best thing that he taught me, I mean, he taught me so much about writing, so much about writing. But I think the most important thing that he taught me taught me was to, like take myself seriously and take writing seriously as a career. Mm. Yeah, it's so um, interesting. I think, you know, as creative people, right, there, there's this myth, right, of the, you know, the hidden writer that comes out and has some, you know, perfect mm-hmm. novel that just, you, you know, that is discovered. Mm-hmm. And there's when you when yeah. it's actually something that you want to do with your life, you pursue it. 
you know, unabashedly yeah. without, without ego. You're just like, look, this is what I want to do. And you go about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm sure you have everyone tell you like, Excellent. oh, how are you going to make money? And da, da, da. But it's, you know, I think when you go about it and you take yourself seriously, it, it enables other people to take you seriously as well. Yes. I think that's exactly right. Um, I, and I think that it, it, when you're, when you graduate from college and you want to be a creative writing person or when you graduate from, uh, grad school and you want to write a novel or, you know, do that kind of writing, there's only one thing to do next and it's to actually write. Yeah. Um, and you have to self motivate, you know, you have to self motivate. Um, and, and there are things you can do to help you motivate, which we can talk about like, um, a little later, but it's kind of like, when you're writing a novel, you're paid once you once you sell the novel. And ninety nine percent of the time, if you're not already like some, you know, famous person for some in some other field, in order to sell your novel, you have to write it first. Um so you write the novel and then somebody like the whole buys thing. it from the whole you. novel. Yeah. Okay. The whole novel. And not just like one draft and you know, they'll help you edit it. Like you have to write a draft that is like almost ready on your first novel, basically. And then you have to try and and 99% of the time you then have to get an agent and then sell your novel. But so just like you have to do that work by yourself and you Mm. have to, you may be able to find a writing community, but you have to want to find the writing community and you have to want to motivate yourself to find a community. And no one is telling you to do it. I mean, there's no like boss who's telling you to you know write every day. There's no you know person who's only signing your paycheck if you get like a thousand words every day. It's like a hundred percent just like self motivated, and it's it's hard to be self motivated because like there's no guarantee that you can you can spend years writing a novel years and then it just doesn't sell. And, and nobody wants it. And that's a risk that you have to forget every day when you're like sitting down to write. Yeah. And I think for like, you're one of the first people I think I ever met who writes because they have to, because there's that thing in their soul that's mm-hmm. like, I have to write. I remember when we were right. like years ago, you were like, oh, you know, and I have time to write. And I was like, Oh, right. Like it's a chore, but it wasn't. It was like this thing that you, it was like a practice for you. I think that was really joyful. Yeah. I think a practice is a good word for that for sure. Yeah. And I think think practice is the right word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, you know, one of those things where you have to create those conditions and create, you know, the stability of it. And the, so it's sustainable on many, many levels, but also you have to enjoy it. Yeah, you do. I mean, if you don't enjoy it, there's, it's impossible to sustain. It's just, it's just too long. It's running a marathon, you know, and if you don't like running, you can maybe run a mile, but running 26 miles would be like pretty fucking hard. Yeah. I don't like running. That would be hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because I think you're Uh, right. You have to be really self-motivated. What were some things that you did or that you currently do as part of your, as part of your writing discipline that help you maintain that? Well, I think that finding a community was really important for me. Um, there was like part of like 
you know, keeping yourself accountable to other people, like that's part of it. But I think also part of it is like, you know, just, just finding people in your life that value the same things that you do, or like if they're not writers themselves that value your writing, um, or your creative work, especially if you're like have creative work that's like time consuming or like a long term project where people might not immediately see the work that you're doing. Like, you know, people may have to wait years to see the work you're doing. It's important to have people that aren't going to take that as like a reason to dismiss the work that you're doing. Um, so whether that's other writers who understand the process or just people that like when they tell you what the process is, they understand it and respect it. Um, I think that is really important. Um, for me, I also do uh, writing workshops in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. where I live, where we met many years ago. <laughs> many, many years ago. <laughs> which I think I, yeah, which I started doing. Um, I started working with a program called Writing Workshops LA. And I, and they're like a private school where you, you take workshop classes. And, okay. and for, for those of, for I those listeners at home that aren't, you know, that haven't written a novel or aren't familiar or may feel stuck, what, what is that experience like? What's that? I mean, is it, do you um, go in with your novel? Do you go in with a blank page? Do you go in seeking community? What What's that like? Well, just, I think different workshops are different. Um, the basic, uh, the basic like universal thing in most writing workshops that you'll encounter is that like the, the workshop element, right? Which is a group of people giving each other feedback on their work that is, you know, it's both good feedback. Like you can, you tell people when you like something or when something's working, but there's also a creative, constructive criticism element. And so different workshops will have, you know, will be ones where you need to, different workshops will have different sort of setups hmm. in the way that work is critiqued. I know workshops where people, like the workshops that I always do, you read the work in advance of the class and then the entire class period is taken with discussing people's work. Do you pick like um, one I know person each time kind of like where it's your, it's your class? One or two, one or two. Yeah. yeah. Um, usually it's more like two people, but you know, it's just a few and everybody gets a turn. Mm-hmm. And then there are places where you bring in finished work um, and read it out loud or read a portion of it out loud and people give their comments just based on what they've heard in that moment. I like the classes that people read um, in advance and outside of the classroom simply because I feel like it, it's like a more, I personally like to think a little bit before I give my response to work. So in turn, like other people's work. So in terms of just like where I think I can be most helpful to like my fellow creatives in my field, I feel like, a class where I have time to read and think is I'm, I'm just going to give better notes. Um, but I know people that love the classes where you just read aloud because they like to have the work fresh in their mind and they can you know, give feedback. They feel like they can give better feedback and, and hear their own and hear feedback to their own pieces better when it's like fresher like that, if you know what I mean. Totally. Totally. And I think also yeah. it probably has to do with how the work is, like how people absorb the work, right? So if it's a novel, you're not going to, people don't go and hear novels read out loud. I mean, you do, you hear books on tape, right? But it's not as common as actually reading the book. So having the experience of how the actual consumer um, or audience experiences Mm -hmm. the art, I think is also important as well. 
Yeah. And most, a lot of writing workshops, they tend to workshop short stories. It's just easier to do. But the, the Writing Workshops LA has a workshop class that is specifically for people writing novels. So it helps when everybody's writing a novel because it's like they understand, like, like, um, you, you, you can maybe stay with a, with a workshop group for a really long time and they can read your novel in various stages. And there's not all those problems where, because like, you know, usually for a workshop, you're only reading like maybe a 20 page section of a novel. So there's not like that confusion of like somebody who like, you know, the, like they'll remember what happened. In right. The you really get the story before. arc. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, And it's kind of like it's hard to be in a workshop group where they're doing short stories if you're writing a novel. So having like a novel specific workshop group has been like key. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So people get the process. Yeah. No, I I mean, I remember when you did that workshop the first time and what what's that like i mean a lot for a lot of people you know being creative for me especially as well it's being vulnerable Mm -hmm. right and as a writer yeah you know there's always this attachment right like i am my work right and this is a reflection of me personally um but i guess when you get enough um constructive criticism on your work do you develop more of a like a like a harder shell absolutely and i'm and i'm coming from a pretty in terms of like um getting creative and like feedback on my work like critic like create like constructive criticism I am pretty lucky and that I started doing that when I was like young when mm. I was like 16 so I it is it is difficult at first if you've never done it before it is a really difficult thing to have people give you criticism on your work um but to me being open to constructive criticism is the difference between somebody who wants to do their art as more of a hobby and somebody that wants to do their art as something to distribute to the world. And but I don't think that there's a value judgment there. Like, I think that sometimes when people are like, oh, writing is a hobby or doing some kind of art as a hobby, there's like this judgment that it's like, you know, not as it's good less valid. or not as yeah. worthwhile. Yeah, yeah less valid. I completely disagree with that value judgment. I think that writing can be therapeutic. I think that writing can be just fun, just a fun thing to do. Often when I'm writing for like, like a novel, like I'm not having fun because it's like work, you know, sometimes I'm having fun, like gotta say <laughs> yeah. to me, only job in the world. It's the only job in the world that is, that I like to do, but it's still, it's work and it's, you know, and it's stress and it's deadlines. Whereas if you're writing for yourself and you have an off day, you can just say, you want to know what? Today's not my day and put it aside. Whereas if you're like writing for your work and you have deadlines, you're like, I got to power through those bad days as opposed to just getting to like do it at your own pace. And I think, so I think that like writing just for yourself or even just like, you know, in a way that's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to share this with my friends or a close group of creative collaborators or, or people that I'm in a creative group with, but it's not, I'm not intending to publish or widely distribute it. Like you don't necessarily need the same level of criticism of, of constructive criticism. But I think if you're intending to, to do like any artistic thing, especially writing um, as your, as your like career, then you have to be able to take input um, from outside. 
And yeah, because other people me, are going to read the work. Yes. And, and I think that to me, you have to get to an emotional place where you can handle constructive criticism. And it's hard. It's hard emotional work. And it's emotional work that I think not everybody realizes is something that like uh, creative professionals often have to do. Yeah. You know, like I have, you know, like um, for, I have an, I have an agent and so I, I've, I've read, a, I've written a book, as you mentioned, but I spent, I personally spent two years writing the follow-up to that or writing something that I thought was going to be the follow-up to that. And it, it was just, it's suffice it to say that novel that I was working on for two years is going to stay on the shelf. And it was my second novel. And, you know, I had sent some pages to my agent and she said, you know, I got to tell you the truth, which is that I love this character, but I find the concept flimsy and the novel therefore, because the concept is flimsy mm. feels false and uncompelling. And that's like, that could be like a really devastating thing to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> me, could be devastating but to me I felt free because I've been struggling with this thing and then of course I had to like you know take some time to kind of creatively mourn this project and mourn the two years that I spent working on it but at the same time like I was like you know what she's right like I'm having trouble with this premise I'm I can tell that like the premise isn't is like not working I'm unhappy you know, every day when I sit down at my computer to work on this, I'm unhappy and I don't like working on it. Like there was something wrong. And like, I don't know, um, maybe that's not like the best example of constructive criticism. No, it's totally, no, 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 no. It's a great <laughs> example, I think, because what people don't talk about in terms of having a creative life. I mean, you said a couple of really interesting things, right? For me, when people hear me sing a lot of the time, they're like, oh, I wish I could sing. And everyone can sing. Everyone can sing and dance and write and create. You know, it's inherent. And part of the, the human experience, I think. Um, and when right. you, when you also put so much of yourself into a project, it's, there is a muscle that you develop to handle other people's experiences of your creations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. they go beyond you, yeah. right? I mean, like sometimes, you know, yeah. you have big successes or you have flops or you have struggles or challenges that aren't necessarily, you know, that are reflective of your internal process, but also everyone experiences things differently. And for, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when it's your agent and you're looking at a book and you're really struggling with it and you're thinking, you're right, this isn't working. It's great to take those things on board. And then there's also times where people are like, eh, I didn't really like your thing. And you're like, okay, not taking that on board. Yeah. And I think exactly. for, for a lot of artists, it's in creative people, it's really interesting to see where people draw that line. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, yeah, some I, you people know, take it all on board oh, and some ahead, people, oh, sorry, some people take it all on board, right? Some people, you know, take everything so personally and other people are like, you know, zero fucks given. Nothing anyone says is, yeah. is relevant. My art is mine. So, and, but, and most people, exactly. I think, fall in between there. Yeah. And you need to be able to fall in between because, like, there are certain people, you know, who, there are certain people who like almost every time they give me a note, I take it into account. People who just like get my work more than, than anybody else. But for the most part, I have, you know, a couple of, I have a writing group. I have these women mostly that I work with that are like great writers who it is such a pleasure to be, you know, to live a creative life with them. 
Um, is that a long term group? The matter is, is that a long term group? Long term group. Okay, yeah. so it's really I like have a community. Long term group now. Wow, it's a community. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, very cool. I and I love it, but like some, the majority of those people, some of the notes they give me, I take. Some of them I don't, and you need to learn which notes to take. Basically, like which ones truly like work for you. Yeah. It, yeah. It's absolutely. hard. These are your decisions. It's really hard. And I think a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's not only what we take on board or what it's what we let in, right? Because sometimes, you know, even just not yeah. in a creative space, like people will say things to you, like friends or whatever, and friends or family members or strangers, you know, or acquaintances. And you, you know, I think as a creative person, you take things personally, so you can transform them into something else, right? And so I think yeah. it's also important to you know, as just a regular human being, whether it's creatively with feedback or in general, not everything that everyone says to you is about you or about anything that you need to pay attention to. And sometimes it is, but it's, it, you know, you can choose to not absorb it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is there was something that you said earlier that really resonated with me, which was that like, um, people, people taking, um, I like like that they are their work, mm. like identifying themselves with their work. And this is this intersects with me like this, which is that I think that I feel like I am my work in general, but I'm like I identify with the process of doing the work more than with any single piece. So like even though I worked on a book for two years, which I'm now probably never going to write, actually finish writing. I didn't feel, I felt a sadness that I had spent two years on a project that wasn't going to go forward. I felt regret of wasted time, of course. And I felt mourning for a character that I really loved to write, that like my agent thought was great. Everybody thought the character was great. It was just that I had I had not given her a good story. And I, and I mourned kind of the loss of getting to write this woman's voice, which I had been very much enjoying writing. Mm. But I didn't feel... And so I felt a loss when that project ended, but I didn't feel a loss of my personal identity because I didn't identify with the project. Like the the book wasn't me writing. The book was me. And so that can be me writing anything. So I started another project pretty, you know, like I ended doing this thing by like starting something new, something that I'm still working on now. Mm. Um, another novel and like the that you know I didn't I didn't lose myself because I just I went on to another thing yeah yeah and obviously you know when you put two years into something you definitely are like wait uh, uh," you know but I think I, I love I love what you're saying about you know you don't identify with the work you identify with the creative process of doing the work yes and that's I think really where you know being an artist or a writer comes into play, right? Like as I think with writers, you get it much more than you do with other forms of creative expression, right? Like people don't identify singers by the song they sing. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe the album. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying, I think you're right, but it's just hard for all of us. I think too. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we all have those moments where, or I guess, you know, just like those moments of wanting to, you know, tie yourself to a piece rather than to the process. Yeah. And I think there's also, there, there's an ambition and expectation we place on certain works of art, right? And when there's something yeah. that 
you've written that comes through you that is so beautiful in the way that the words are strung together and so eloquent and smart and apt. There's a, there's an attachment there. I don't know if it's like an ego thing or if it's, you know what I mean? But it's like, I created that. That was something that, um, and a lot of the time, you know, uh, there's a lot of creative debate about where that inspiration comes from, whether it's from us or whether it's, um, we are just the conduit. But I think that there is an attachment to creating something. I mean, you know, with anything, right? Whether it's uh, you building a house or having a kid or starting a business, it's, you know, this is, this is mine and I made this. Um, and so there is that automatic attachment to the work and with, with art mm-hmm. and writing and creative pursuits, there's a vulnerability there and there's something that, you know, you brought to the world that didn't exist yeah. before you showed up that day. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big uh, believer in the, in the conduit kind of way of thinking. Um, I've never had kind of like, and it, as a creative person, I don't really have the experience of like, oh, the characters just took over and they wrote for me or something like, uh, or, or, or feeling like it wasn't coming from my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt like it was coming from my brain. Um, but I should say like, I'm not a writer who feels, I feel like I, I work for every sentence. I work for every phrase. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful, but it's not easy. And so I think that's probably why the conduit kind of way of thinking has always felt a little foreign to me because it's kind of like, so it's a conduit. It would just kind of flow. And I don't really have experiences of like it just flowing. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. But you know, other writers that, that have other theories behind that, like Elizabeth yeah. Gilbert and, oh. you know, it definitely exists out yeah. there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, okay, it's yeah, interesting. Sure, and I, sure. I think that, you know, in terms of, of that flow as a writer, there's, you know, I, I know a few people who are about that. And I know a few people who, you know, are about, you know, keeping their nose to the grindstone and getting the work done. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I think it actually comes down to, conditions and conditions are the great equalizer, right? Like what do you need to be yeah. able to feel comfortable enough to get the work done? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. What were you going to say? Are you, are you, oh no, I was going to say, are you more like, cause I think that like, are you more of a conduit person or are totally. you more of a, I'm totally a conduit person. Totally. I'm 100%. so, I'm jealous of it because I've just never had that experience. Well, you know, I think there's, there's definitely ways, jealous. There's ways to cultivate it. Um, and I think, so I always <laughs> use the analogy of surfing, right? Like people always talk about catching the wave, right? right? But when you right. want to catch the wave, you have to be in the water. You have to, you know, be on a surfboard. You have to catch the right, right. set. You have, you know, and yes, there is absolutely a, there's absolutely a process of catching it like an energetic, current, I guess, that helps you create much more easily, like with the cartoons, right? So I draw the daily doodles and every single day I sit down and I'm like, okay, what's going to come out? And something always does. And sometimes it's really a struggle and I'm thinking of, you know, some smart thing that someone said to me or something really poignant. Um, and it, and it's, you know, every single word is, is a, is a grind, but then there's other times where I've literally drawn 10 cartoons in 10 minutes and I, I don't know where it came from. Um, so I think that, but it's about the conditions, you know, it's about saying every day I'm going to do this and if the energy right. shows up great. And if not, I'm still going to show up and sometimes, right. you, yeah. And, and I think it's also about working. I definitely with it. believe in, 
Yeah, I definitely believe in in showing up every day or or I don't I don't I can't write every day just because I need to I do a day job to make money. Mm -hmm. So I can't write every single day. But on I have three days of the week that I have to show up. And like today, for example, I didn't get very much done earlier today. I it was not my best writing day, but I'm not upset about it because I'm only upset about a writing day, like truly frustrated, like I'm frustrated, obviously, but I don't actually feel it's not a thing that's going to stick with me. I don't actually feel like bad about my writing day unless I don't show up. And then I'm so mad at myself, you know, like if I, yeah, it's about the practice. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think, I think for me personally, I think both things come into it and you know, there's times where I wake up at, at three in the morning and I, you know, just write a love poem in, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and there's other times where, you know, I show up continually and sometimes I catch that current and sometimes I don't. Um, Mm -hmm. but either way you, you show up. So it's, it's interesting how different people work with that. Um, okay. So you wrote your first novel and that was kind of a process, right? Your first novel. I want to hear a little Mm -hmm. bit about what that process was because you have incredible, determination is one of the things that I love most about you. You really are one of those people where you're, and and this is what's really, I think the difference between people that succeed in some areas and don't is that you believe in yourself and your ability to produce. Yeah. yeah and show up. So the first oh, novel, I mean, oh, yeah, no, no, oh, yeah. Can say? keep going, keep going. No, I just, it was no, it, no, nothing, the nothing. process was, <laughs> the process was really interesting. No, no, right? it, because was long. You, a, it was a long process. Yes. It's a marathon. Definitely. Um, it was five years of writing before I even started sending it out. I, let's, to, to give a sense of the timeline, just the most basic sense, I started writing this book at the very end, like in December of 2008, and it was published in May of 2015. Yeah. So okay. that is the timeline start to finish. Okay. Yeah. That's so a, stamina. Yeah. That's, there's a, there's a stamina there. And I think building up that muscle is, is just, do you think because you had been, because you decided at such a young age that you that you're a writer, you know, that you were like, I'm doing creative workshops, creative writing workshops in in high school. Do you think that that helped you build up that muscle? Definitely. Um, I think that I think that one of the things that like really kept me going in like the early years. There's there's a lot. Um, one is is I just. I just really wanted to publish a novel. I just really wanted to. I wanted it more than I wanted anything else. You know, like, like a bucket some list. Some people wanted a good self-actualizing thing. Yes. Um, it was. I think it was like the life of the novelist is the life I wanted to live. You know what I mean? It was. It was the space I wanted to occupy in the world. It felt like the place for me. Mm. It felt like. It, it's it's hard to describe because it was so instinctual. It was, I barely had to think about it. I barely had to say like, oh, well, should I, you know, I'm, I was 22, I think when I decided to start writing it, uh, 22, 23, I barely had to think like, do I want to spend my early twenties, like in a room, like writing a novel and like not really being able to socialize very much. And I didn't even, that wasn't really a factor. I wasn't thinking about it. All I knew is that it was 
it was, it was the way I wanted to spend my time. And it was the thing that I wanted to do. And even as I understood more and more that in order to really write the novel, I would have to kind of, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get to do like a wild early twenties. Um, because I, I was working a full-time job at the same time as I was writing it. Do you feel like you kind of missed out on that, on that life or you like chose a different path? It's so funny. I, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone refer to their early twenties as like a, like a partying life choice. That's interesting. Though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, it's like, I, feel, I feel like people don't do it consciously. But they totally choose it. Right. No, you're completely right. And I think I, I also made a different choice and, uh, I think so. but I, you know, I, I moved abroad, I think when I was like 23 or something, and I really have spent my twenties in Asia, you know, kind of just making art and being creative and exploring the world. But I think that you're right. And it is a choice. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're making that choice. Yeah. And, but, and I don't, I don't, again, like, no, no, there's I don't no value. Think the there's choice no, is invalid. Yeah, yeah. there's no, no value it's not there. good or bad. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you know, the 20s, I think, are really also formative, right? Like, you know, everyone says your formative yeah. years or when you're in high school or whatever. But I think that actually, as an adult, your 20s are when you figure out who you want to be in the world, what you want to contribute to the world, you know, what kind of life you want to have and, and who you want to be in it. Yeah, I think you're right. And, um, you know, I've, and I've gotten to kind of have like a little bit of a, like my late twenties, I got to be a little wild, um, and kind of, you know, recommit to other aspects of my life, like romantic life or, you know, just like having like a, a more intense and more, um, present social life. And I, and I'm like, I have no regrets on like the way that I went about it. Um, but somebody could just as easily do it backwards where they go through their wild twenties, um, and then kind of sit down and write a novel. Um, and you can there, and you can also do both at the same time. So I'm not saying that these things are like totally mutually exclusive. I think for me, it was just, I couldn't do both at the same time. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. It's, I think one thing is about identifying our choices and what they are. And the other thing is about knowing ourselves mm-hmm. well enough to make the choice that we're happy with. Yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, it's hard to do. It's so hard. Oh, oh my God. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. Hard to do. Yeah. And there's it's this so thing, you know, do. there's this pressure where, especially, you know, in the millennial social media digital culture, there's this pressure to be everything and succeed all the time. And that's yeah. not exactly how the world is. No, it's not. And, um, and, and I think it's, it's, there's just, there's a lot of, uh, hand wringing about people's intentions. And I think that sometimes acting instinctually is kind of undervalued. Like if your instinct is kind of to like have like a wild 20s, like maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe like what you need is a kind of like social contact. You need a kind of, living out in the world and that can be incredibly gratifying. I mean, even, even if you're just like, you know, going out to bars with your friends, there can be something um, like even or almost spiritually gratifying about that lifestyle. Um, just because I think that community is so powerful yeah. and people forget that like partying is just community kind of. <laughs> That's an endorsement for partying you know? if I've ever heard one. Partying As is an community. No, it's interesting. It's, you know, we are human beings. We are social creatures. And I think that there's, there's yeah. a lot of value, um, that we don't acknowledge based on connection, based on the feeling of belonging. Mm-hmm. 
as yeah. well. So yeah, yeah feeling I mean, of belonging, that's very important. Yeah, that's a big one. Brene Brown is is the inspiration on that one. But I think, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've lived in a, a couple of places and there's the feeling of belonging is, you know, you have to, it actually comes from within. So yeah, a lot of people get it from community, but when you're in a community, right, everyone is individual and there will always be outliers within ourselves that aren't accepted by the general, you know, status quo of the community and belonging yeah. to yourself and accepting yourself, I think is the flag stone, flagstone, cornerstone, cornerstone I, yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also this element of like, if we're talking about like community building among groups of friendships, like you can't always choose the community that you grew up in True. or your family, True. but you can choose your friendships and you can choose also to maintain those friendships and to align yourself with a group of people that have a certain kind of values. And I think that even though that is like community building, it is about individual choices and it's about choosing like, you know, not just who you want to be like in terms of your own, the work that you do or your own intrinsic nature, but who you want to be in terms of who you want to associate with. I mean, these are deliberate choices that people make, but sometimes they don't have a lot of consciousness about how deliberate the choices are Mm. Um, or, or that they are empowered to make deliberate choices. Okay. You know, you've mentioned this a couple of times. I I love that you have talked about the values of the people you surround yourself with, whether it's um, people who are, um, reading and offering creative feedback for your work or people within community, right? You're talking about, you've talked a couple mm-hmm. of times about values. What are the values that you seek out, I guess? And what are the things that you find make the difference in friendships or in artistic collaboration or community? Right. Um, oh gosh, that's such, that's such an interesting and big question. I know. Um, I think that for me, it's so, it's so big. Um, so this is, I'm not going to be able to like exhaustively list, but I think that for me, what I'm looking for in people in my, in my community, in my like greater community is I'm, I'm, they don't necessarily have to be artists, though I do tend to know a lot of artists. I think what I, what I'm looking for in people is a kind of, um, a desire for intimacy is very important for me. I want to create relationships with people that want to be emotionally intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't really have very many friendships that are kind of low key or low level where we just like go to brunch and talk about, you know, like non-serious topics. And of course, with many of my friends, we do do those things. We go to brunch and we just chat about whatever, like, you know, movies that we've seen or, and that's not necessarily a superficial conversation, but like, you know, with all of my friends, I pretty much can have emotionally intimate conversations. And that doesn't mean, and I, and I, and I don't feel like I hold myself back from them or keep things about my life from them. Yeah, absolutely. There's an Um, acceptance there of whatever comes out is going to come out and let's go deep. Yes, exactly. Um, and that doesn't mean every single conversation um, is going to be something that's like overwhelmingly, um, you know, serious and intimate. But I don't like having a friend where like if we had plans for the movies, but I'm having like a really bad day and I'm like, hey, I really got to talk to you. Like, I don't like if I have like a friendship where I don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, um, totally. So, I, so, so that's something that I value. And I also, you know, have you know, political, like, political, like, lowercase p, just like people who want to see a certain kind of world. And I need to surround myself with those people. Otherwise, it creates a pretty toxic environment. Yeah, makes sense. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where for a lot of us, you know, <laughs> is this the first time anyone's ever been like, Hey, identify those values. Um, it's interesting. You know, I think, yeah. I think for a lot of us, it's, they're subconscious, but we, we do have those patterns and we are drawn to specific people, right? Whether it's creative people yeah. or people we feel comfortable with or people we can have shared experiences with or people we can collaborate with. You know, I think it's, it's, it's always interesting to see what those values are. Anyways, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to hear about your new project and hopefully some tips for how to stay motivated. Exciting news, little humans. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I make all my art, music, daily doodle cartoons, which you can see on my website, NJ Loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean Loves.com. We've also teamed up with Bali Spirit Festival. It's been mentioned a few times on the podcast, and some of the guests are going to present there. Levi Banner, Nadine McNeil, Awahoshi. It's April 2nd through 8th, 2018. And we've teamed up with them to offer you guys a discount to come to Bali and come to Bali Spirit Festival. So hopefully it's that extra little push to get you over here. Use the code STAYWILD for $40 off the five-day spirit pass or Stay Wild Abundance for $50 off the full enchilada abundance pass. So hopefully for, for those of you that are listening to the podcast and really resonating with the content, with the guests, with the spirit of Bali, it'll help get you here to Bali to meet some of the people that have come on the podcast and really join the spirit of what we're doing. If you do like the podcast, as usual, please subscribe, write us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share the show with your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and also Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. So, you know, every time you hear a bell, an angel gets its wings, (laughs) and every time you write a review and share the show, other people are able to find it. It moves us up in the rankings. So hopefully in the, in the algorithm. So hopefully. Hopefully, um, more people will find the show and can share in all of these amazing stories and journeys and niche expertise. So I hope you're enjoying today's episode and let's get back to it. All right, little humans, we're back with Katie DiCibato. She's a writer living in LA and her first novel, The Ghost Network, came out a bit over two years ago. And so before the break... We were talking about, what were we talking about? We were talking about community. We we're talking about the values of people you surround yourself with and how they, um, either inhibit or help your creative process. Um, and so you have had a creative process for a long time. You said your first novel took from, what was it, December 2008 to May 2015, which really yeah. is a testament to your creative stamina, which I think is a muscle that you know, as creative people, we really have to work at, at building up. Um, yeah. And it, it's hard, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, I think it's there's so a, hard. it's very hard. And there's a, there's a perseverance there that I think makes the difference, you know, and is the difference between giving up and, and getting published for probably a lot of people. Um, and so you're working on a new project. You have a new, yeah. you're working on a new book. I'm working on a new book, um, which I, as I mentioned in the first part, um, I did spend a couple of years working on a project that is now very dead, um, which 
I'm it's actually it's a relief that it's dead because I wasn't having a you know I wasn't feeling very fulfilled working on it. So that took up about two years of my creative life. Um, and then in March of this year, I started work on a new novel. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you this: the first month working on that was as close as I've ever come to kind of a creative flow moment. I Exciting. felt like all of yeah. All of that creative frustration that I felt when I was, when I like kind of was struggling with the, you know, previous project, it was like a, it had like dammed up my creative energy and then starting something new, like unleashed the dam um, or the dammed water. And it was like whooshed out. Um, so for the very first month, I worked uncharacteristically fast, mm. I'm actually very, very slow writer. Uh, it takes me a really long time to complete a project. I may minimum, I take a, a year to do a first draft. Okay. And, and oh, for, at least in my previous life. And that's like 50,000 words? More like 60,000, 60, 70. Um, I think my last novel went at about 70, like, like late, late in the upper edge of the 60,000s or the lower of the 70. I can't remember off the top of my head. Though. Okay. And for most people at home who aren't writers who may be listening, how many pages is that? Like, you know, when you're talking about like, because uh, writers always speak in like word count, right? <laughs> but for the rest right. of us, it's like, well, it's, it's yeah. Oh, it, it totally depends because like, okay. So I, my first novel had almost no dialogue in it. Right. Um, and so it is, about 60, 70,000 words, but it was only 250 pages. Now, if you had a ton of dialogue in there, it might be longer. Those 60, 70,000 words might be a 300 page book. Um, because dialogue, you know, with the spacing, um, it just creates like, you know, more space on the page. So that's why I think, uh, writers work in word counts because page numbers are so, it, it depends on how much dialogue you do or how many paragraphs you write, like how long your paragraphs are, those kinds of things. Okay. Interesting. So it totally depends. I never realized dialogue was such yeah. a big spacer. Huh. If you, if you look at a page, no, I mean, look, not, it, like, just open any book on yourself yeah. and like you can see the space. No, it's one of those like obvious things sure. that we never quite realize. <laughs> you, know? you never think about it. Yeah. yeah, you never think about it. But yeah, no, totally makes sense. So it takes you about a first year to do – it takes about a, a year to do the first draft. Um, and this mm -hmm. next one you said has just been like a breath of fresh air, it sounds like. Yeah, the first the first month especially was like exhaling. Um, I think that – and then I slowed down to what is my usual pace. Mm. Um, and, and even with that big creative burst at the beginning, I think it might save me a month or two, but it, it's still going to be something like 10, 11 months, you know, of writing to get a first draft done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we were also talking at the very beginning of the episode about things that help you stay motivated and the conditions that you yeah. have. So what are some things that keep you focused on your project and really, you know, that finish line, I guess, of the marathon of an novel? Right. Well, definitely the support of my creative community is key. Um, and I just, I feel like especially with the internet these days, um, you know, it is much easier than it ever has been to develop and nurture a creative community to find people that do similar work as you or are interested in the work that you do. It just, it just feels like 
at other times in history, you may have had to move somewhere to be around people, whereas now anybody can kind of go online and find their people, and that's so powerful. Um, and I happen to live in Los Angeles and have gone to this um, writer work, writing workshop, which is where I made a lot of my creative friends. But if I hadn't, I think that I would still have people I could reach out to online. Um, so, so that's a big motivating factor for me is just this, you know, keeping in touch with my community. They're doing their projects. And if I don't do my project, I obviously I feel left behind and I feel jealous of them, not jealous of their work and mad at them, but jealous for that time spent creatively. You know what I mean? Totally. So that to me is a big emotional motivating factor. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think when you're a creative person, that that practice is really um, primal, right? So it's not like, I'd yeah. say it's almost like eating lunch, right? Like you don't want to eat someone else's lunch, but if you don't eat lunch, you're going to feel like crap. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's, you know, sustaining. Exactly. It's life sustaining. That's a good <laughs> metaphor. Yeah, that's a great metaphor for it. And then on the, and the thing is, is like keeping hungry like that, to me, that is the biggest key, um, is staying hungry, uh, Mm. hungry to do the creative work. Um, because I think that doing, you know, showing up every day is hard, um, or even every week, it's, it's really hard. And so I think that the mental game of keeping yourself emotionally on track to do a big project is like so much more essential than people give it credit for. Yeah, it's interesting. Or maybe they do give it credit for that. I don't know. You know, I think mental health and 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 your mental state and staying positive and empowered mm-hmm. is really. I mean, for a lot of people, it's like ninety percent. I mean, yeah. there's a um, there's another podcast I listen to called The Lively Show with Jess Lively, and she talks about getting into alignment, right? And so, you know, she's Uh 80% alignment and 20% action. So 80%, you know, of what is important in terms of of getting things done is getting in the right state to do it. Yeah, exactly. I I think that that's, it's key. Um, It's it's key. And, and I think that there's something in there that you talk about mental health. I think that's important. But one aspect of that, that I really want to zero in on is the knowing what you want aspect, Mm -hmm. Um, having enough clarity emotionally mentally to know what you want um i think that when you're kind of coming from a place where like there's sometimes when i'm having a period of time where i'm not my my healthiest mentally one thing that i find is that i'm a lot more reactionary um and a lot less like creating my own like creating the action of my life i guess you could put it and by that i mean like i'm instead of like figuring out what I want and creating that stimuli, I'm seeing what's around me and reacting to that stimuli. Um, and I think it's impossible to be totally non-reactive, but it is possible to be able to get to a place where when you're examining your reactions, you're able to, to figure out like what you want and what value inside yourself the reaction is created like for example to kind of give like make that a little bit more concrete like when a writer writes a book that i think is wonderful sometimes i'm i don't experience jealousy but sometimes i do sometimes i have a moment of jealousy um and but i am in a a place with my creative work my creative practice where i'm like oh i'm not like this isn't necessarily a toxic feeling this is just a natural feeling of, of, um, 
you know, reminding myself that I want badly to create good work. Yeah. And the solution to that is, is, is just more creating. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's, that's what I mean about like, like a reactive thing when, yeah. if you're jealous is to develop and nurture inside yourself, nurture being like a weird word here, but like nurture a toxic feeling. No, Whereas, totally. Like, I, I don't think it's, dead. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think whatever shows up is there for a reason. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we, we project onto others what we ourselves need, right? Or what we ourselves yeah. want. So, or we judge others based on how we judge ourselves or we love others based on how we love ourselves. You know, I think it's, it's all very kind of subjective, um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so you're right. No, I, I mean, if, I was confused, yeah, I mean, if you're confused about what you want and somebody and, and, and somebody else's success makes you upset, it's really hard to take that feeling and focus it somewhere, right? If you don't know what you want. Yeah. If you're, if, if you're jealous of somebody's accomplishments or achievements just to continue the same, um, example, but you haven't figured out what you want to accomplish and what you want to achieve, it's really hard to like take that feeling and have like a positive reaction. It just stays, it festers. And yeah. It yeah. Stays and you can't, you can't be productive nowhere to with put it. it. Right. Yeah, you can't be productive with it. Um, you have, you have nowhere to put it. Yeah. Um, you have nowhere so to I channel that. that. I think yeah. That okay. It's really important to know what you want in a big sense. And I think know what you want in a small sense. Like for me, when I was in my years of kind of writing this novel that didn't work, I created a lifestyle around avoiding work a little bit um, because I was so unhappy with the work that I was doing. Um, and then when I started this new project, which I really liked, I had a small goal of wanting to write more. Mm. wanting to write more often, not necessarily more words, but more time spent writing. And it took me a little while to realize that that's what I wanted. That's what I was lacking because I was already making time to write. So I was already making time. Um, but I started saying like, what, what is, what in my day is my lacking? What am I missing? And what I was missing was just even more time spent writing. And so I had to kind of rearrange my life a little bit, rearrange my schedule, but the feelings of being a little bit kind of like listless and like a little bit, or just like uncertain about what to do with myself. And I, I can't think of like the word right now. Like, like what, like what do I do with myself today? What do I do with myself tonight? Yeah. Like yeah. tonight, for example, I have a rare night where I have no plans. And I think that there was a period of time when I would have been like, well, what should I do? Should I go to the movies? Cause I love to go to the movies by myself. Like, should I watch a movie at home? Should I cook something? What should I do? And now I, I like know what the answer is. And the answer is like, Oh, I'm going to do a little bit of writing until I get too tired. And then I'll probably like watch some television. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, when, when we're in a state of avoidance with creative projects, we will come up with ideas to do anything. Literally. I mean, you know, I think it's, I, I've talked about this with a couple of people, uh, not on the podcast yet, but there's, there's a couple of things, you know, where when you, it, it's almost like a sabot, like a self-sabotage creative thing, right? Or when we're, when we're in that state of avoidance, mm -hmm. you know, it'll be like, let me, you know, start another business or let me travel or let me, you know, come up with a million reasons of why I can't do this work. Have you, um, I, a friend, I think I, I can't remember where I heard this phrase. It may have been like in an article or it may have just been like a friend saying something to me. But have you ever heard the phrase like productive procrastination? No, I love that. Productive okay. procrastination. It's, yeah. It is when you procrastinate, 
by doing something that like needs to get done, like doing something good. Like, for example, it's like, if I need, like, I, I really need to clean my bathroom right now. But like, if I decided to not write and clean my bathroom, it's procrastination, but it's productive. Something's getting done. Something that needs to get done is getting done. And so like, that's an example where it's like obvious. No, I totally get it. Yeah, but for for a lot of creative people with creative endeavors, right? They they always say like life gets in the way. And I think that carving out time for your practice, whether it's yoga or writing Mm -hmm. or music or dance or, you know, hiking with a friend, whatever it is, um, carving out that time is a choice, right? It's not you don't have the time. It's that you didn't make the time. Exactly. And and the thing is, is that you have to, I think there's like very, 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 very few instances in the world where somebody actually doesn't have the time to write. And that's often somebody that um, has to be like a, a caregiver to, um, a, like, if you're, if you're in a position where you have to be a caregiver to a family member or a loved one who, like, isn't able to take care of themselves, that might be an example, or somebody that, you know, has to spend a lot of time kind of, like, earning money to support many people, and they have to work more than one job. Those are times when you actually don't have time. But for the most part, what we don't, what we aren't, what people don't say is that we make choices to not be creative. Like, if you say that, like, and and sometimes really good choices, sometimes it's like, I know, because if you make the choice to, like, just like truly maintain a friendship, like a sane and normal person, sometimes that is making a choice not to be creative, depending on how many friendships you're doing that with or the style of friendship, you know what I mean? Or a romantic totally. relationship. Like totally. And 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 you could be doing wonderful things with your life, like truly wonderful things with your life. But it's not that you don't have time to work. It's that you value something higher. Like I there are times when I have to decide whether or not to go to the gym or to do writing. And those are both things that are not only like healthy for my body, but like really help me with my mental health. Um, exercise has become like a, a cornerstone of healthy mental health. So it, it, it's like Sophie's choice. Like if I'm like, oh, I only have time today to either do my writing or go to the gym. Yeah. Which sometimes happens. Yeah. Um, because I have like, you know, response like day job responsibilities to make money. It occasionally will happen when I, I have one of two options. And the truth is, is if I, if I decide not to write that day, I have made a conscious. It's not that, oh, life got in the way or I just didn't have enough time to write. No, I made the decision to prioritize something else. And that's okay. It's just that like once you acknowledge that in yourself, I think like that's when you can start making adjustments if you want to. That's so, yeah, that's so spot on. And uh, yeah, you're right. We make choices not to be creative. And I think that acknowledging that is the most difficult part of, of that process, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of steering the ship back to your creativity. Um, yeah, it's saying, you know, sometimes it's, I choose to, you know, feel better in my body or I choose my health over, you know, my, my physical health yeah. over my creative health. And sometimes that is a value judgment. Um, and sometimes you choose your creative health because that is so much more <laughs> enriching. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't feel like it is a choice. Um, wh- not specifically the gym or writing, but a lot of people right. don't feel like they give themselves permission to value their creativity enough to give up other things. It's mm-hmm. always like an extra thing, yeah. right? It's always like the thing you can do yeah. 
you know, if everything else is done in a perfect world and perfect conditions, right? Like that time you exactly, take a sabbatical yeah. and you give it all up and you hold yourself up Walden style, you know, that's when you're going to write the novel. Yeah. And I, yeah, think, yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, Please I just, I, I, I just, I think that it's, sorry, there's a bit of a lag here for those of you at home. Um, I think that it's one of those things where we put that pressure on ourselves, right? Of, of not only of the creativity will happen then and, and we give ourselves license to create then, but that's not how creativity works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that one like thing that if anybody who's listening feels kind of like they, they may be making the choice to not be creative, but are having a hard time breaking the pattern. Cause I think that it is very hard to break the pattern of the choice to not be creative. One thing that I forget all the time and I'm always telling myself over and over again is you don't need time a lot of time to be creative you don't even need an hour you can take a you can take 15 minutes and just write down three words that you like in a book if you're a writer or play three notes on a piano and that is enough to get you started and then you know ideally once you kind of start making those little choices you can make the choice more and more and more but um that that you know walden style works for walden and maybe it works for a lot of people but i think the majority of writers that i know spend two or three hours a day writing and finish novels yeah yeah they get to the same finish line as everyone else yeah. And I think, it, yeah, it's interesting. There is that, there is that pressure, right? It has to be all or nothing. And sometimes it's three notes yeah. on a piano and sometimes it's, you know, writing a song or playing a song or, you know, from a musical standpoint, it's, it's interesting. And, and I think making that choice, right, to not be creative is because there's a fear of what is the result of that creativity instead of an, mm-hmm. an embracing of the process. Yeah. Maybe that's just like another key thing is that like to, results matter a lot less than just the creative work. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, uh, doing the work. Yeah. You identify doing the work, not with the work. Exactly. Amazing. Well, Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. True pleasure to have you on Stay Wild and um, watch out for her second novel. Thank you so much. It's in the works currently in the works. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, little humans, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Here's today's toast poem. As usual, it's unrelated, but original. Here we go. You're too nice, he said. Voice, thick with sympathy and worry. What's wrong with nice? What's wrong with kind? Shall I engage in the ego's guerrilla warfare simply because it's done? Shall I harden my heart because we've forgotten that it can still be soft instead of calcified by things we don't need, things we say we are, adopt, identify for a false sense of belonging? Don't harden my heart or force it into the gladiator's coliseum where it will surely be trampled and eaten. But when you see nice, see me. Protect me, please. 
preserve me as a flower growing between the cracks of the sidewalk. For when it all crumbles, and it will, all that will remain, all that ever really mattered, is kindness. All right, little humans, that's today's show. Big thanks to Katie DiCibato for coming on and sharing her insight and journey of being a writer, taking feedback, and really learning how to build up that creative muscle. I hope you guys enjoyed today's toast poem. As usual, if you like the show, please subscribe, follow us, share with all your little humans, and write us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. If we have been the inspiration for you to get to Bali, come for Bali Spirit Festival, April 2nd through 8th, and use the code STAYWILD for a discount on the five-day spirit pass or stay wild abundance for a discount on the full enchilada abundance pass. You can see all my art as well because today's show is also brought to you by me. You can see all my art, cartoons, hear my music. It's also featured on the podcast at NJ Loves. That's NJ like Norma Jean Loves.com. Until next time, little humans, stay wild. So we keep on keeping on.